Good morning, everybody. Shana Tova. I apologize for the delay on some of these, as you can imagine, being a rabbi, busy time of year, but we are carrying on. As I wrote yesterday, 929 carries on over the uh, festive period, including on the festival days. So I am now going to be talking about chapters 6, 7 of Malachim Aleph, and Ilana Stein is then going to do a wonderful run-through for us from 8 to 11. 6 and 7 really puts us in the heart of Alicia's world. There are a number of things going on. Uh, this chapter 6 begins with, uh, again, Alicia's ability to work wonderful miracles, even somewhat minor miracles in terms of just helping out his students, helping them to find axe heads which have sunk to the bottom, much greater ones as well. An ongoing theme in these chapters is the aggression of Aram, the Arameans, the kingdom to the north. Elisha seems to play some sort of an Ellie Cohen role, if anybody has been watching the latest Netflix uh, drama about Israel's spy history, always being able to tell the Israel, uh, Israeli forces of thousands of years ago where Aram plans to attack. The Arameans eventually realize in chapter 6 that Elisha is their major information leak, and yet Elisha is nevertheless able to take the Arameans, blind them, put them in Shomron, remove them from all of their safety, put them in a place where Israel would be able to strike them down. And yet then we nevertheless read the wonderful verses that when the Arameans have their sight restored to them, realize they are surrounded, Elisha tells the People of Israel, you shall not strike those who you have captured with the sword. Give them bread, give them water, let them eat and drink, and a feast is made for those who would have attacked Israel. Nevertheless, the chapter and the next chapter carry on describing the terrible conditions in the land of Israel in this period with ongoing Aramean aggression. Perhaps the darkest moment comes when... The king of Israel, the son of Ahab, is walking up by the wall. A woman cries to him, pleading for his help. What is it that she says? She says as follows, that she had made a deal with another woman. That being in the midst of hunger, they would each eat of one another's children, their sons. She had shared her own son, this is so painful to say, with this woman the day before, but now the other woman refuses to share her son with her. The king must intervene. So there are multiple layers going on here. Number one, on the one hand, a woman crying out in hunger leads one to feel pity. On the other hand, the rest of the details provide one with what can only be called revulsion, the eating of children as low as can be sunk, which occurs a number of times in Tanakh, perhaps uh, most uh, memorably in the book of Echa, describing the destruction of the Second Temple. We are in a similar situation now. 
But the third level in which this story works on is that it should remind us of a previous story at the very beginning of the book of Malachim, of the two women who came to Shlomo HaMelech, King Solomon. This is the story which is told to prove his wisdom, arguing over whose son is whose. And Shlomo says, well, just take a sword and cut the son in two. He does so, of course, in order to judge the reactions of the two different women to see which one really cares for her child and will say, absolutely, you must not do that. But how far have we moved where it is not just a question of who is the mother, but rather it is a question of the devouring of children. The king's conduct here is very strange. On the one hand, he curses Elisha. On the other hand, he is also wearing sackcloth as well. He is seemingly mourning and identifying with his people. He is described by the Midrash as evil on the outside and integrity on the inside. Fascinating the description. But the real story is chapter 7, in which we hold of the story of the four lepers. The lepers who are not able to be a part of the city. They are excluded from the city, who they are truly in the very worst situation of all. And it is these lepers who think, let us now finally go over to the Aramean side. If we don't, we're just going to die here. At least there we will maybe have a chance. And as they go into the Aramean camp, they realize that a miracle has taken place. God, perhaps through Elisha, has caused the Aramean camp to flee in the night time, leaving everything behind. All of their wealth, their bounty, their food, their treasure is there for these four lepers to take. At first they glut themselves, taking everything they can, hiding it as well. But then they realize that they are actually part of a larger plan and it is for them to go and tell the Israelites, the those who are hiding behind the walls in terrible situations of what has occurred that they can benefit from it. There is a midrash that these lepers are the family of Gehazi, who, as we saw a couple of chapters ago, was struck with the tzarat of Naaman after Elisha had cured Naaman. Regardless of who exactly they are, the lepers are clearly people on the outside of society, those who are not allowed in, those who are certainly not seen as the central social functionaries. This chapter in which the lepers bring the news of redemption to the doubtful people of Israel, but whom upon further inspection it is discovered they are telling the truth and redemption has indeed come, go on to become a great symbol throughout Jewish history. What is the nature of the redemption which is brought by those who are the news of which is brought by those who are impure. In the 20th century, the great early Zionist poet Rachel wrote a poem in which she said she does not want the redemption of the lepers. It cannot be such a partial one. But it would seem to be that a person who is sensitive to Jewish history must realize that redemption can come both in partial forms and from many angles as well. There is even a Gemara in Masechet Sanhedrin which says that Moshiach himself is one of the lepers sitting at the gates of the city. Redemption 
might not always be perfect, it may well be imperfect, it may well come from unexpected sources. The ultimate metaphor for that is here in our chapter, chapter 7. Wishing everybody a Shabbat Shalom.